Go ahead and open your Bibles with me this morning, and if you would, go to the book of Mark. We've been looking for a number of weeks now, I think the last five weeks, at some things Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, about a house divided. Do you remember he said in Matthew, a kingdom divided against itself will come to desolation, a house, or excuse me, a city or a house divided against itself will fall. It cannot stand. You see these same words show up in Matthew and Mark and in Luke. I want to look at it from Mark today. In Mark chapter 3, he said almost verbatim what you read in Matthew's account. In Mark chapter 3, verse 24, Jesus said, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And there's some things the Lord's been drawing to our attention about that, and it's so critical that we're talking about it right now, in this time, in this place, in this physical place that we're in, because we're busy building, like we've talked about a moment ago, a house. We're not just building a building. We're not building a business. We're building a house. This is God's house. We're His family. And when we're together in this place, we're home. Welcome home, everybody. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you're home. You are at home in this place. But if we want this place to last, if we want this place to stand and to last beyond what the the statistics tell you you can last, there are some scary statistics out there about starting a church, but you don't have to buy into it. We don't have to believe that. Now, there are reasons I believe that churches fail and there are reasons that churches don't fail. And if we'll find out what makes a place fail, and not do that, (laughs) we can find out what will make it last. I think sometimes places get started, but if you get started without a word from God to start, baby, you're on your own. I mean, if you don't have a word, then what faith can you have when times get tough, when things get tight? If you don't have a word from God that said, start this thing in this place at this time, then how can you have faith? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You can't make something up and try to have faith for God to supply for. That's called make believe. But we're not living in make believe, are we? We've got a word. What's going to keep this church from failing? We've got a word. Start this thing at this time, in this place, with these people. And if things get tight, if times get tough, who cares? We got a word. And if you got word, you got you got faith. There are a number of reasons I believe churches start and fail. But one of the big things you see here from the mouth of the master, Jesus himself, is division in a place will cause it to fall, will make it fail in a hurry. And let me remind you again, he's not talking about an attack from the outside. He's talking about an attack from within the walls. I got to thinking about it yesterday, late last night, early this morning, and actually an attack from the outside, have you noticed this? It can serve to make the place stronger. If the people on the inside are in agreement, if the people on the inside live with the same purpose, then come what may from the outside, we're going to stand together. We're going to fight this thing together. And Satan's intent in bringing an attack from the outside, pressure, persecution, whatever it is, is always to get you to quit. But if the people in the house are undivided in their common purpose, then he walks away frustrated because what he designed to bring us down actually ended up making us stronger because we came together, we stood on the word, and we saw the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That's got to be frustrating to be the devil. Not that I feel bad for him, but it's got to be frustrating. It has to be. And the good news here is if Satan can't deceive us into believing that the people inside the house are the problem, then he can't divide us. It'd be good for you to to just say that to to your family, to your husband, to your wife. You know what? You are not the problem. (laughs) And just remind you and remind each other, we are not each other's problem. We are not each other's problem, and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But you need to remember that. Okay, maybe don't say it every day, but you can think it and remind yourself, he, she, they are not the problem. 
And if Satan can't deceive you into believing they're the problem, then he can't divide you. And if he can't divide you, he can't destroy you. And a church or a house that's undivided cannot fall. If we're divided, we can't stand. But if we're undivided, we cannot fall. We cannot fail. Glory to God. I'm I'm actually excited about this. I I don't live with any kind of sense of, of risk or trepidation or fear about the success of this place. Because it's not on my shoulders. It's not on my shoulders. What the Lord is instructing us in is to lay this bedrock foundation of faith and love. And if we're built on that, there's no chance this is going to fail. There's no chance that this doesn't do what God intended and created it to do. And I think he's been very purposeful and it's been by design that we have been talking for weeks and months about the love of God. The love of God. As a minister, let me just let you in on a little secret. It's almost like an experiment. It's almost like we're experimenting on you. What would happen if all you did for like a year was get together with a group of people and tell them, one, how much God loves them, and two, how much we love each other? What would happen? I'm excited to see because that's what we're doing, emphasizing the love of God. We're looking at this in Mark chapter three. I want to pick up with some things we, we talked about last week. And I know we had a different service team in here. So how many of you watched online? Anybody catch last week's service online? We talked from the book of Matthew chapter 13, which is the same thing you're about to see here in Mark chapter four. I just read you from chapter three. Let's look at chapter four. Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, all of these accounts are of the same thing, and it's what we call the parable of the sower. And this is where Jesus told a parable, but from best I can tell, it was, first of all, the first, excuse me, the first parable he told. But second of all, he revealed some things in this parable that are keys that unlock every other parable every other thing he ever said. And the reason I say that is because after he told the parable, the disciples came to him and said, "Um, can you explain this to us? And he said, if you don't understand this, how will you then understand any of them? So there are some master keys. You know what a master key is? It's a key that unlocks a bunch of doors. And there are some master keys in this parable. And of course, the parable, you know it. He said, "A, a sower went out to sow. And some of the seed, he said, fell on a number of different kinds of ground. He said some seed fell on wayside ground and the birds came and and ate it. He said some seed fell on stony ground. And because there was no depth of earth, uh, it sprouted up. But the sun scorched it. It withered away. It didn't produce anything. He said some seed fell on thorny ground and the thorns sprang up and choked it and it didn't produce But then he said some seed. Now, every time he said some seed, you study this out. And what he was saying is some of the same kind of seed. And that's important. It's the same kind of seed that got planted on every ground. And some of it fell on good ground. And he said, and it produced. It bore fruit. It produced a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Then he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, everybody out there that day, heard it, but precious few heard it. I really don't know another way to say it. I mean, you know what it's like to talk to somebody and your words are falling on their ears, but are they hearing you? No, but it's a different thing altogether to talk to somebody who's focused in, they're hearing it, they're receiving it, they're believing it. And Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he began explaining the parable to the disciples. And down around verse 14, he said, the sower sows the word. So the word was the seed that was getting sown. Now that's a big deal and it should catch your attention because like we said last week, when you realize the word got sown on four kinds of ground and only worked one time, that needs to wake us up. 
Because as word people, what do I mean by that? People who look to the word and build our lives on the word and believe the word. What we believe about the word is that within it is all our life, is our salvation, is our deliverance, our healing, our abundance, the meeting of every need. We believe all that stuff is in the seed of the word. And that's not hard to believe that because naturally speaking, there are huge 200 foot trees inside a seed. That's a miracle. And we've got a natural picture of a spiritual principle that everything you need in this life, everything is in the seed of the word of God. So it ought to wake you up when you realize, okay, three out of four times, this thing that's capable of producing my life and producing my healing and producing my well-being didn't work. I want to know why it didn't work. And it shouldn't satisfy you to just think, well, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. It shouldn't satisfy you to hear from somebody say, well, it works for some and not for others. It shouldn't satisfy you to hear somebody say, in the sovereignty of God, we don't know why he does and why he doesn't. It's all up to his will. That that on the inside should just be like, "Mm, uh, thanks, but no. No. So if you're looking for an answer to the question, why isn't it working? Go to the word, find out what Jesus said. And he told us why it wasn't working. He said in verse 15, these are the ones by the wayside where the word was sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately, takes a word that was sown in their hearts. The other accounts of this bring out the fact they hear it, but they don't understand it. They have no comprehension of how valuable that word is. And that's what it means to understand something, not just to mentally grasp it, but to actually understand what's precious, what's valuable, what's worth your time. This is why I have to take my car to somebody else when it needs to be fixed. Because I can open the hood and I can stand there all day, get my best mechanic stance and start looking at everything and I tell you what, here's the problem. It's the flux capacitor. That's the problem with it right now. It's not producing 1.21 gigawatts. And so what we need, I don't, I look into it and I don't know what's valuable. You understand what I'm saying? I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. I can't tell you what's important. It's not working. I'm like, did you check the washer fluid? I don't, I mean, uh, do we have enough of that? We do. Okay. Uh, then I don't know. You know what I mean? That's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of knowing what's the key issue, what's valuable. And Jesus said, if you hear the word and you don't receive it as valuable, it cannot and will not produce. And Satan will come, how quickly? Immediately to steal it. Why? Because it never, it never sank in. It never penetrated the heart. It just sat out there on top of the surface. Because we didn't value it. We didn't honor it. We didn't esteem it as the word of God. And you can find out whether or not you're doing this in a hurry. You know, when you're dealing with something, be it something physical in your body or in a relationship or in your finances. And somebody says, well, the word says that by his stripes you're healed. How do you respond to that? Because if you respond to it with eyes rolled and like, yeah, I've heard it, man. I know it says that, but my doctor said what you've done just then is you've elevated the word of somebody else and put it on the same level as the word of God. Now, I'm not knocking a doctor. I thank God for him. But nobody's opinion, nobody's word. I don't care how educated they are or how much experience they have. Nobody else's word belongs on the same level as God's. And you have to make a decision. Which of these do I honor? Which of these do I value? Which of these do I reverence? And you can find out right away where your honor is for the word and how high you esteem it when you put it up against something else. We could talk a lot about that. We're going to see a little more later on today. But Jesus goes on. He said in verse 16, uh, these are likewise the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Other accounts say they receive it with joy. Now that's different than somebody who heard it and didn't receive it at all, right? You want to be the kind that immediately receives it with joy. You and I need to be quick 
to believe. We should not be so stubborn and hard-headed and hard-hearted that it takes somebody just pounding and pounding and pounding with Scripture and Scripture and Scripture and Scripture for you to finally go, well, okay, maybe. No, come on, be quick. Be quick to lay hold of this. If it's coming from the book, man, you can believe it. If it's coming out of the Spirit of God, you can lay hold of it. Even if your head is still spinning and going, I don't get that. Your heart... Your heart can lay hold of it. You can receive it with joy quickly, right away. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he came back. And you know what? He wasn't all that happy with the guys. He corrected them and said, you are slow of heart to believe. Don't be so slow to believe. Don't be so slow. Be quick. Be quick to believe. But he said, those who receive it on stony ground, they're the ones who they hear it and immediately they receive it with joy. But he said in verse 17, they have no root in themselves and so endure or they only stay with it. They only stick with it for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble or other translations say they're offended. They're offended. There is nothing that divides a home like offense. Nothing that will separate people quicker than offense being offended. And the hard truth is that the word cannot work in an offended heart. It cannot work in an offended life. Now, other translations of this bring out the fact that, that this persecution, which just simply means pressure, man, pressure that drives away, pressure that separates people. He said it arises because of the word. See, just like in the first instance here where the seed sat on top of the ground, Satan came immediately to do one thing, steal the word. Now what's he after? Same thing. Steal the word, steal the word. Now, when they didn't just let it sit on top, but they received it, they heard it, they believed it, they shouted about it. Satan's like, okay, now I got to up my game a little bit because I can't just go steal it. Now I got to figure out another way to take it from them. And that's when he shows up with pressure and persecution to try to distance you from that word that you heard. Here's what you need to understand. Every attack, every temptation, and every weapon formed against you are all aimed at one thing, and it's stealing the word. Why? Because he knows how much life is in that seed. He knows that your salvation's in it, like we've said. He knows that your healing is in it. He knows that your peace of heart and your peace of mind, he knows that your, your flourishing marriage is in that seed. And if he can create and put distance between you and that, then he can cut off all the life that would flow to you from it. So every attack, every temptation, and every weapon formed against you is all about one thing, separating you from the word that you've heard. That's what offense is about. The word itself literally means separation. That's why you see it translated falling away. We've talked about it, but that's, what, that's where it comes from when we talk about people who were close but fell out. They had a falling out. Somebody got offended. Somebody's feathers got ruffled. Somebody got frustrated, got irritated, got indignant about something that was said or done to them. And people who were once close, something got between them and created distance, created a separation. But this is such a fascinating word, this word offense. Look it up in the Greek. It's the Greek word skandalizo. You know what we get from that? Scandal. Scandal. It's the, the word itself literally means entrapment. It's a trap. Offense is a trap. It's a trap set by Satan in an effort to disconnect you from whatever's bringing you life. It's a trap. Somebody say, it's a trap. Over the last week or two, we've had some... Uh, uninvited guests in our home. I'm not talking about human beings. I'm talking about little 
furry, four-footed, beady-eyed critters that have made their way somehow, some way into our home. We found one in the dog food bag. We found one in the baseboard heaters. And uh, so I called the exterminator. Huh? The mousecapades, Sarah says. Uh, There's nothing charming about these. These don't sing. These don't dance. They don't have cute voices. I mean, none of that. They're just creepy. And uh, I called the exterminator. He came and he, he set a couple of traps. And then I bought some more traps and some more and some more. And so I've kind of got them scattered right now. Because Sarah ain't having it. I'll tell you that right now. She's not having this in her house. And here's the thing about the traps. They work. They work, right? And I don't know what it is about mouse culture or mouse uh, history and why they don't warn each other, why they don't go to school and their teachers say, listen, I know you like peanut butter, but here's the deal. If you see a big glob of it, set up on this thing and you look and there's like this giant claw right up. Don't eat the peanut butter. But the word has not gotten around, evidently. And in my mind, you know, it would be so simple if like two mice were just kind of bopping along next to each other, you know, and one guy's like, oh my God, look at the peanut butter. Do you see it? Look at all that peanut butter. Oh, I want it so bad. And the other mouse would, the other mouse would just be like, hold on, wait a second. You remember three-footed Phil, right? You, you know what happened. You heard his story. No, no, what? You know, he, he saw a big glob of peanut butter just like that one. And he went over and he tried to get it. He didn't know what happened, but all of a sudden he's, he's missing a foot, man. I, I wouldn't go for it. I don't know, dude. It looks so good, bro. I want some of that peanut butter so bad. And if the other mice would just be like, it's a trap. It's a trap. Don't go. Don't know. But I'm telling you, the trap's working. So much of the time, the trap's working. And it's like, we need each other to help each other recognize, come on, don't get into that offense. No, no, no. I I know what was said. I know I heard. But listen, don't go there. Come on, stay with me. Don't disconnect here. Come on, let's, let's stay together in this. No, 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 no. Don't, no, stop it. It's a trap. It's a trap. And here's the thing about people caught in the trap of offense. Have you noticed this? They don't want help out. That's right. But they do want you in the trap with them. You come over and you're like, come on, let's get out of this. Let's leave this. Let's keep going here. Come on, we got a race to run. We're walking by faith. Don't disconnect. No, 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 no. Uh uh. Did you hear? Do you know? They said this. Huh? Uh I ain't leaving. As a matter of fact, I can't, I can't even believe you still go there. What are they saying? Come get in this trap with me. Come get in this trap with me. Come disconnect from what was bringing us life and get in this trap with me. It's dangerous, man. It is so dangerous. And there may be some people in your own life who you get on the phone with, you're in conversation with, and the conversation turns to what they're offended about and why they're offended you may just have to stop it right then and there. Oh, you may have to say, look, I love you. You know I do. I love your kids. I love your family. And we can talk about all that. But my ears are not your trash cans. And you do not get to unload on me. I'm not getting in this offense with you. I am not. I'm not getting in it. You can't make me get in it. You want help out of it. I'm here for you. You want to learn how to forgive, to let it go, to move on. Come on, I'll do that with you. We can get this trap off you right now. And we can go on, but it's dangerous. This is in Mark chapter four. Where does the time go? Good. Hurry up, Jeremy. Would y'all listen quicker, please? That would help me. The, The placement of this in scripture is so cool to me. What began on this day with Jesus preaching the word the anointed word 
and the eyes coming open and everything from him standing out there preaching it to the disciples coming and saying, okay, help us see it. And then he sits there with them and he unfolds it to them and, it, and, and, and tells them what it is that, that makes the word work and, and how to be good ground that bears fruit. You know, you got to honor it. You got to value it. You have to highly esteem it. You've got to be rooted. You can't be disconnected from it. You can't just shout amen and then when the first little sign of pressure comes, immediately you disconnect. There are some things we need to be quick to do and other things we need to be very slow to do. Quick to believe, slow to disconnect. Quick to put faith in the word, slow to unhook. Slow to be offended. Jesus is unfolding all of this to them. He talked to them about the thorns that spring up, how it chokes the word and how the, the deceitfulness of riches and the pride of life, the lust for other things, they choke out the word. He's talking to them about being good ground. But what's so interesting about this in this same chapter, it says in verse 35, you ready for this? On the same day, we're about to get a snapshot of about a 24 to 48 hour period in the life and the ministry of Jesus that began with the preaching of this word that we've just heard. And it says on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now they left the multitude and they took him along in the boat as he was. You remember he preached that entire message from a boat. There were so many people on the shore. He was on the boat, pushed out from the shore, preached it. He no sooner said, amen, you're dismissed. And then turned to the disciples and said, let's go to the other side. That's what it means. They took him as he was right where he was preaching. Now they're rowing across to the other side. And of course, you remember what happened. He he's in the stern of the ship and he falls asleep And this huge windstorm. This violent storm comes out of nowhere, almost like it's got something spiritual behind it. I think you'll see in a moment that it does. And it comes out of nowhere. But here he is, this perfect picture of peace. At rest in the storm, because that's what grace does. That's another message. And the disciples come to him and they wake him up, which is, first of all, rude. But second of all, they wake him up with these words. Don't you care that we're dying? Don't you care? In other words, you don't even care. You're down here asleep. You don't care. And you know the story. He stands up. He rebukes the wind. Peace, be still. It obeys. He turns around to them and questions them. Probably really caught them off guard with this question. But he said, how is it that you have no faith? Why are you so full of fear? How is it you have no faith? Full of fear? No faith. And, you know, I grew up hearing that and, and reading that, and I always put the emphasis there, fear and faith. How is it you have no faith? How are you so full of fear? But the Lord helped me see something uh, a few years ago. He just simply put the emphasis in a different place for me, and he said, how is it that you have no faith? How is it you are so full of fear? In other words, this is not something he's saying to the thousands, the crowd, the masses. He's saying it to people, you ready? Who just heard the word. And what happens when you hear the word? Faith comes. But I've also heard it said, you know, that, you know, he expected them to have faith, that they could have stood up and rebuked the wind. And possibly, maybe, but you know, at that point in his life and ministry and relationship with these guys, they've never seen him do that. They didn't even know that's an option. So I don't think it's realistic for, for us to think Jesus was expecting them to do that. But what was the big revelation? They had no faith. When they came and they said, you don't care. You can have a lot of questions, but let me suggest to you that you never again and for the rest of your life, as long as you live, question whether or not he loves you. Because his love for you is what you and I are to be rooted in. In, rooted and grounded in his love. Now see, he had just talked to them about developing some roots. Don't just hear the word, put some roots down, man. Get some roots. Let some roots grow in this. So they're not rooted. What I want you to begin to pick up on in the few minutes that we have here 
Let the Holy Spirit put you in that boat. Let the Holy Spirit put you in that group. It's a small group. But let's not just read this from our vantage point. Let's, let's be there. And this is, these are some of the first days. These are early days of the ministry of Jesus. And I want you to notice how quickly momentum picks up in his ministry. What we're about to read about is a crazy day in the life of Jesus. I'm telling you, it was a crazy day. And that's why I want you to put yourself there and just try to imagine seeing what these guys are about to see. They just heard the word preached, a life-changing word. But they went from a life-changing word to a life-threatening moment out on the sea. And they thought their lives were changed. Now they're thinking, our lives are over. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this man, they're not even sure who he is yet. And they say that. Who is this? He stands up and with his words, rebukes the wind, calms the sea. Can you imagine seeing that for the first time in your life? And all of a sudden the sea is calm and they arrive at the other side where he said, let's go. And I'll try to abbreviate all this for you. This is all throughout this same chapter. And when they get there, you imagine being one of those disciples. You, you crawl out of that boat if you still have your stomach and you're kissing the ground. You've never been so glad to be on dry ground in your entire life. At least it's just not rocking. It's not moving. You thought a moment ago your life was over. And all of a sudden you're on dry land again. Thank you, Jesus. And out of nowhere, you hear this shriek, this scream, and you look up. But forgive me, but this is what the Bible says. A crazy demon-possessed naked dude comes running out of the hills screaming and running right at you. What happened to this day? Not long ago, we just we heard good word and it was great and thank God for it. And then the next thing you know, we're all about to die on a ship. And now what's going on? There's a crazy naked dude running straight at us. And Jesus speaks to him the way he spoke to the storm and said, come out of him. And all of a sudden, this man who just a moment ago was demon-possessed, watch this, fell at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible tells us he worshipped him. He worshipped him. He fell at his feet and he worshipped him. What is that? Honor. It's value. It's respect. It's esteeming him. Now, again, you and I are seeing all this. We're witnessing this. We're, we're, we're in the boat. We're on the land. And this went from this message to this storm to this demon-possessed man who's all of a sudden sitting here clothed and in his right mind. What have we just seen? And he's sitting there in his right mind as the result of, one, the word of Jesus, and two, the honor, the reverence fell at his feet. And to make matters worse, this demon starts talking and says, please don't send us out. Put us in the pigs. Jesus says, go. And you and I turn and there's 2,000 pigs on this hill. And these demons enter these pigs and these pigs go shrieking and running off the side of that hill. And they drown in the water below. What is going on? <laughs> what, I, what happened to this day? I was not expecting this when I woke up today. All of this happens. Jesus turns back to us and says, okay, let's go back. We're like, we just got here. I'm not sure I want to get on a boat ever again. And you want to go back right now? Come on, let's go back. So we get back on the boat with him. We go back to the other side. And when we get there in Mark chapter five, this is all the same day. There's a crowd of people and there's somebody clawing their way through this crowd and it's a man named Jairus, who's the ruler of the synagogue. And all of a sudden you look up and this man, Jairus, who has this place of position and power, prominence in the society. This man is at the exact same place that the demon possessed man was at just hours before the feet of Jesus. And he comes and he finds Jesus he humbles himself because that's what faith does. Regardless of whatever perceived position of power you hold, faith in need of Jesus will humble itself. And he says, my daughter lies at the point of death. 
you come lay your hands on her, she will live. So Jesus goes with him. None of these things are scheduled stops. None of this was on the itinerary. But Jesus goes with him. And here we are following going, can this day get any weirder? But what I want you to see is that the momentum in his ministry is picking up. It's picking up. What started with the preaching of the word and then led to the miracle on the sea, then led to a man being, being freed from demons and healed and in his right mind. And now we're following this guy. Okay, let's see what happens. And on our way to his house, Jesus stops everybody and says, who touched me? And we're like, now what? <laughs> now what weird thing has happened? He says, no, somebody touched me. I felt power go out of me. And you, smart guy, spoke up and said, Lord, everybody's touching you. He said, no, I felt power go out of me. And there was a woman who came fearing and trembling. Why? Because she was the one that touched him. She had this illness, this issue of blood in her body for 12 years. She'd spent everything she had and got none better but grew worse. And she heard that Jesus was there. And in response to what she heard, she said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. Come on, this is the process of faith right here. You hear, you speak. You hear, you speak. She heard he was there. She said what would happen. She found him broke the law to be out there, grabbed the hem of that garment, healing virtue and power went into her and she was healed. And then he's like, who touched me? And she's afraid and fearing and trembling. You know where she is? At his feet. She, this is what we're watching happen, is in the exact same place that Jairus was a moment ago, that the demon possessed man was just a few hours ago. And everybody keeps getting what they came for. There's something special that happens at the feet of Jesus. People get what they come for by bringing themselves low and putting him high with honor and value and respect. And the Bible says she told the whole story. That's how we knew how long she'd been sick. That's how we knew she spent everything she had. That's how we knew she'd heard and what she'd said. She told the whole story. Meanwhile, we're standing there and Jairus looking at him out of the corner of our eye. And this guy, his daughter's almost dead to begin with. And we're feeling the pressure of the ticking clock. Jesus, we got to go, man. We've got to go. And this woman's just talking and talking and talking and talking. And finally, somebody from Jairus' house showed up and said, don't trouble him any further anymore. Your daughter's dead. This day is like a roller coaster of emotion. We thought we were dead just a few hours ago. Now somebody has died. How's he going to handle this? And much to your surprise and mine, Jesus whirls around and grabs Jairus by the lapels of that $3,000 suit and pulls him in and says, Do not fear, only believe. In other words, value my word more than that report you just got. So he went to us, we went to his house. And when we got there, you remember this, right? All those people were out there weeping and wailing. And then Jesus said something. It was so weird. It was so strange. He said, why are you crying? She's not dead. She's just asleep. And then all those people who were crying just a second ago started laughing. What's with these people? They start ridiculing him. Remember what Jesus did, though? It was awesome. He put all of them outside. My hero, right? And you got to do that. When you're in faith and your life's on the line, you don't have time to hear a bunch of voices that aren't going to feed faith with you. You definitely don't have time to hear an offended voice. And that's what happened. Every one of these people got offended, so he just put them out. Remember he went in there with the parents, with Jairus and his wife, do you sense the momentum picking up in his ministry? I mean, what started with the preaching of the word, the anointed word made place and manifested this miracle on the sea and then this miracle in the demon-possessed man and then this miracle with the woman with the issue of blood. Can you, can you sense the momentum picking up in this? See, the reason this is important is because with enough momentum, you become really hard to stop. You know, I can stop a moving car. As long as it's topping out about a mile an hour, I can stop it. But you put some momentum behind it. 
I can't stop it. You can't stop it. With enough momentum, you become very difficult to stop. And here's all this momentum picking up in the life, in the ministry of Jesus. And, and again, it's the word and then it's the miracle and then the miracle and then the miracle. And now all of a sudden we're in a room with a girl who's passed away, but in obedience to his word, Talutha Kamai, I say to, to you, little girl, arise and <gasps> breath filled her lungs and she sat up and who was dead a moment ago is alive. Amen. This is momentum. This miracle momentum is on the rise. And you and I are seeing things not only that we've never seen, but that nobody's ever seen. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. Now here's what's astounding. That's the end of chapter 5. You go to chapter 6. What's the first word of that chapter? Then. So in other words, here's what's next. I don't know if it's that day, the next day, but it was the next thing that happened. Here he comes into his... Uh, own country, it says, verse 1, his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? What are they saying? We know you. This is his own hometown. But he's come into this town with all this momentum. He's come in with the will. He is the embodiment of the will of God to heal. We've seen it. He set free a demon-possessed man. He healed a woman with an incurable disease. He raised a little girl from the dead. Do you need more proof? Here he comes with the will of God to heal. Here he comes with the power of God to heal. All of this is on the inside of him. And he shows up in his own hometown. He stands up to preach. And in response to it, you know what his friends and his family and his relatives said? What are you talking about, anointed? Yeah. We know you. Yeah. We know you. You're from here. That's your house down there. You grow up here. I changed your diapers when you were little. I know you. You built this table. Come fix this table you made for me, carpenter. Wobbly chair. But notice what happens. It said, are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended. Offended. They disconnected. They unhooked. They fell into a trap. And there was nobody there to go, come on, wait, 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 wait. This is a trap. He says they were offended. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor. He's not without value. Except in his own country, among his own relatives. You ready for this? And in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people, healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. You study the word offense and it literally means to lose faith in somebody you're supposed to have faith in. Unbelief. All this momentum came to a screeching halt because of one thing, offense. Offense. Now, it's not offended in the sense that he, you know, he said something that hurt their feelings, but it's offended in this sense of disconnecting and losing faith. But listen to this side of offense. You ready? Familiarity. They were too familiar with him. And this, this thing that stopped all the miracle working and the miracle power of God, the thing that stopped it was not a satanic attack from the outside. It was a lack of value and a lack of honor from within his own house. The house was divided. And it didn't say that Jesus said, well, fine, I'm not doing any miracles here. It didn't say that he didn't want to. No, he carried all the will of God to do it, to perform it. It says he couldn't do it. 
He couldn't do it. Offense ties the hands of God and strips him, not of his will to heal, his ability, his power, because they were too familiar. Where there was this familiarity, there was a lack of respect. And what you don't respect, you will not receive from. But if we change the way we, we respect, it'll change the way we expect what to receive. See, this disrespect disqualified them from receiving from the same miracle working power of God that calmed the sea, that healed, that, that set free the, the demon possessed, that healed the woman with the issue of blood, that raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. They had as much access to that as anybody else, but their disrespect for it cut it all off. No value. Where the word is preached, but it's not understood, it's not valued, it can't work. And this offense is such a tricky trap. And one of the things that you and I have to be watchful over, especially in the time, the culture that we're in right now, is that things are getting so casual. Getting so casual. And I'm not, it's not a reference just to the way somebody dresses. It's about the attitude of the heart. If we want to see the glory of God in this house, we will see it in direct proportion to the way we honor, to the way we respect, to the way we value the things of God. Huh. Could this be the problem, not just in a house of worship, but in your house or somebody else's house? That there's not respect, that we haven't cultivated a culture of honor for each other? Ladies, listen to me. That man, he's not just your husband. Guys, listen, that's not just your wife. That's a man of God. That's a woman of God with a call, with a grace, with an anointing, with a place, a God-given place. And if you hear that and you think, seriously, my husband? You should hear the noises he makes the first minute he wakes up in the morning. You telling me that man is anointed? And you, and you think to yourself, well, I, I don't respect him because of the way he is. Is it possible that you think you don't respect him because he's that way? Or is it possible that he's that way because of the lack of respect? See, what respect, especially when you do it by faith, what it does is it draws out from what's within somebody. Fellas, do you think you don't? love and admire and nurture her because of the way she treats you? Or do you think she treats you that way because there's no nurturing, no loving, no admiration, no respect? These are questions we have to ask and answer. And even if you think there's nothing there to respect, what honor by faith will do was will, it will reach down on the inside where that God-given grace and anointing and ability and calling is, and it will draw it out. You can draw out of your family what God put in there if you'll create a culture of honor and value and respect. And we will have in this place the degree of glory to which we value, to which we honor, to which we respect. He said, those who honor me, what will he do? I'll honor you. There is no greater honor than his presence in this place. But if we want it in a great degree, what do we have to do? honor in a great degree. It is no coincidence that everybody who we just read about got everything they needed, got everything they came for, and saw a major manifestation of the power of God. It is no coincidence that every one of them found themselves at the same place, physically, the feet of Jesus. Amen. To honor, to value. And it is no coincidence that in his own hometown, there was no manifestation of power. There was no display of the glory of God because they were so familiar, so casual. We know this guy. We know him. One translation says, they tripped over what little they knew. They got hung up on the fact that he was from here. Folks, everybody's from somewhere. Don't trip. Don't trip. Not over that. 
The problem is we just tend to know each other and look at each other after the flesh. And that's all they did for Jesus. And it says there he could do no mighty work. Is it possible that people coming into a place that their lack of honor and value for the word and God and the things of God could actually keep somebody else from receiving a miracle? It is possible because atmosphere matters. But if somebody comes into this place with a physical need or a mental need or a financial need or relational need, and they step into an atmosphere of faith and love, and the presence, in the, uh, the presence of God fills this place because you came in and you'd, you honored him. Yeah. You thought enough of him to actually get up and come to church. Yeah. You thought enough of him to you know, be here on time. That's honor. That's, right. That's value. These are little things. They're practical things, but they're ways we give him honor. It affects the atmosphere. Yeah. And somebody can step into an atmosphere like that and they can receive. If we'll change how we respect, it will change what we expect. Thank you, Lord. If we don't respect, we won't receive. And I'll leave you with this. It says in John chapter 1, verse 11, that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. And that's what we just read about. But do you know what the next verse says? But as many as received him. That's honor. To receive somebody is honor. Reject is disrespect, to, to dishonor. But to receive, to hear and accept their words, that's honor. He said, to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. Who gets the power? Huh? Who gets the manifestation, the display of the power of God? Who gets that? Those who are flippant? Those who disrespect? Those who don't have enough value for him and for his word to pay him any attention? Who? No, no. Who gets the power? Who gets the power to become? Those that receive him. Those that honor and those that value. And if he can give you the power to become a son of God, he can give you the power to become healed. He can give you the power to become whole. He can give you the power to become whatever it is you need to become. And it comes from our honor from our value and our respect for him. And whatever's going on in this house, help me out. Needs to be going on where? Your house, my house. We cultivate an atmosphere of honor here. We cultivate an atmosphere of honor there and it'll change. It'll change what we get out of the people in our lives. But I refuse to be offended. Why? It's a trap. It's a trap. Look out furry little fella. It's a trap. <laughs> Don't go for it. Don't fall for it. It's a trap. It'll disconnect you from what's bringing you life. It'll unhook you from this flow of life. It's a trap. It's a trap. And offense isn't just about hurt feelings. It's about not valuing and not respecting the place that God's given somebody in our lives. Amen. Stand on your feet with me. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yep, son. Go ahead and come see you. Let's worship the Lord just for a minute here. I'm going to dismiss you in just a minute, but I think it's so important to take some of these things and give them just a moment or two to sink in, settle in your heart. And you got to give it time to take root. It'll never bear fruit until it takes root. It will never bear fruit. It'll never produce anything unless and until it takes root. And the only way the word can take root in your life is if you give it time. So don't be quick to just move on to something else. Don't be quick to unhook from something the Lord's saying to you. That's why we take a, a minute right here at the end of this to let what he said settle down on the inside. And then we become doers of it. And as we do, it lays a foundation beneath our feet. Thank you, Lord. You know, it may require you and I to to get honest before the Lord and repent if we've gotten too familiar. It's a dangerous trap. You get too familiar with somebody the Lord's put in your life, be it a, a spouse or, or uh, a, a leader, a minister. And I'm not saying there's not a level of familiarity with the people we're close to, but 
We must learn to not just look to and at each other after the flesh. And it takes some repentance and it takes the Lord. You go on to the Lord and say, give me eyes to see when I've been looking too shallow, when I've been looking too familiar. Show me how to elevate. Show me how to respect and reverence the men and the women that you've put into my life. Husbands, take the lead in this. Pray this often. Father, teach me to reverence my wife as your daughter, as one called and anointed, as one graced for this family to do what you've created her to do and to be. Elevate her in my eyes, Lord. Wives, do that. If we get too casual with each other, it it takes away the open door to receive from one another. You get too casual with the ministers and the ministry that the Lord's put into your life. It's an open door to offense. You start looking to them and at them just after the flesh. And soon enough, you fail to remember they've got a God-given place. They hear from God and they hear from Him many times for your sake. You don't want to lose that. I said, you don't want to lose that. Familiarity, being too casual, will rob us of so much. And we can learn to live in the balance of handling things that are holy with honor and reverence. And yet we don't have to be so heavy. We don't have to be (laughs) depressed. We don't have to be burdened. The joy of the Lord's our strength. What a glorious place we get to learn to live in, spirit-led. So if there's any repenting you need to do, just do it. Do it before the Lord if you need to, before somebody else, but, but do it in an effort motivated by that flow of life that comes to you through them. And just remind yourself, I'm not disconnecting. I'm quick to believe, but I am very, very, very slow to unhook. I'm very, very, very slow to disconnect from whatever's bringing me life. Thank you, Lord. I'll just lead us in it. Father, I just ask you on behalf of me and my family and this family, Lord, forgive us. We repent if we've let familiarity in, too casual with you, too casual with your word or with your spirit, too casual with one another in any way. If we've allowed any of that in, Lord, we don't want it. But we want to value and honor and respect each other as gifts from you. You're so faithful to bring people into our lives there as a help and a strength them for us and us for them. And Lord, we're not willing to lose that flourishing relationship over something as silly as just being too familiar. So forgive us of it, cleanse us of it, and help us be quick to see the trap of the enemy. And when we see it, we'll run from it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory and honor. Glory and honor. Glory and honor. Glory and honor. You want the glory? Show some honor. Glory and honor. Glory. To Him be glory in this church. How's it going to come? Through our honor, our reverence, our respect for Him for each other. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Did this help anybody today? Has the Word helped you today? Well, don't just be a hearer of it. Put it into practice. Be a doer of the Word. And I fully anticipate that as we keep coming together, we are going to go from glory to glory to glory to glory one degree of the manifestations of God to another, to another, to another. And with enough momentum, what happens? We become very hard to stop. 
We become hard to stop. We become impossible to stop if we won't get offended. That's us. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.